morning, church. Great to see you. Hey, thanks to all of you who came to campus yesterday morning and helped clean up, beautify, uh, touch up the campus. We appreciate your work and, and your service very, very much. Well done. Also want to say thanks to those of you who participated in the Blood and Fire Thanksgiving outreach yesterday. How many of you uh, helped in some way with that? Many of us did. I know Beth baked a couple of pies. Hundreds of people were served yesterday. I haven't heard that number, but that's typically three or 400 people. And so thank you and well done uh, for that. We appreciate it so much. Also wanted to give you an update on last week's Faith Promise. We've been talking about missions here locally and globally for the last few weeks. And uh, I, I'm pleased to report that Faith Promise came in so far $50,000 over our goal. And so that's just fantastic. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. And if you haven't turned in your Faith Promise card, you can do that. Grab one at the information table out in the cafe and turn that in. Uh, everyone should participate in Faith Promise. It's an opportunity to grow your faith and expand your faith. So thank you for your support. It's uh, wonderful. We're excited to see what God will do in 2015 through Faith Promise. We have a very, very special guest this morning who's going to be preaching for us, whom I'll introduce in just a moment. We will take as our text this morning from the book of Psalms 100. It is Thanksgiving week, as you know, and so we want to simply remind us of the importance of giving thanks, and I know you're going to be inspired by the message. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 100. If not, we'll project the words on the screen for you. And as is our custom, I invite you to stand as you're able to hear this important word. And the psalmist wrote, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And if you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Thanks so much. You may be seated. Mike Corner is the resident bishop of the United Methodist Church of the Indiana area. He was uh, raised in Anderson, Indiana, so he's homegrown, you know, corn-fed. Um, he served uh, Methodist churches all over Indiana earlier in his career. He was then a district superintendent in the old Lafayette district and then served as the executive assistant to Bishop Woody White in those years. In 1996, Mike was elected as bishop of the church, was assigned to North and South Dakota, where he spent eight years. Now, if you don't know North and South Dakota, that's an opportunity to, to drive a little bit from place to place. And so we admire him for his service there. And now for these past 10 years, he has been here in Indiana, back home, uh, providing very important and significant leadership to the church here in Indiana, which is, for us Methodists, 1,200 churches and 200,000 members. And so Bishop Mike has a full-time job. We are thrilled that he's with us this weekend and sharing, sharing the scripture with us. And I know you'll want to give him a nice warm welcome as he comes to share with us. Thanks, Greg. Good morning. I'm primarily here to say thank you to you. In fact, I brought a certificate I'm going to give to Pastor Greg in just a moment. 
I'm in my last couple of years before I retire as bishop, and I decided these past few years I want to I want to turn around my normal process for Sunday mornings. Normally, I've been invited to churches for their special occasions, you know, building dedications or groundbreaking or anniversaries, whatever. And I've really always enjoyed that. But these last couple of years, I've turned that around. I've said, I want to invite myself to come to the strategic churches of our conference and say thank you to you. So that's why I'm here. I wrote and asked uh, your pastor if I could come some Sunday in the next couple of years, and we worked out the schedule for today. And I'm here primarily to say thank you and to present what I call a bishop's blessing. It's a, it's a prayer, basically, for you and, as a, and the church, thanking God for your ministry. And that's primarily why I'm here today. So I want to offer that prayer blessing and give it to your pastor. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for the ministry of Union Chapel, United Methodist Church, as your people gather to worship you. We thank you for all the pastors, lay leaders, and members who have made this day possible. And now I ask your richest blessings upon Pastor Greg Paris, the staff and leadership, and all who are part of this congregation, and particularly for those whose lives are touched by its ministry. Keep them faithful to you, O God, and bless them with faith, strength, courage, and service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you like to thank Pastor Greg, too, as I give him this? My message to you this morning is really fairly simple, but I want to spend a little time with it. And the message is, don't worry, but instead be thankful. Don't worry, which we all tend to do, but instead be, be thankful. I want to lift that up to you partly out of, you know, preachers, we always preach to ourselves first. Partly because of my own reality is that sometimes I worry, and I've, re- I've realized lately that when we worry... It's our way of trying to take control of the world and take control of our lives back from God and think, well, if I can just worry about this, well, then I'm in charge again. But gratitude, being thankful, is a process of giving that control back to God and saying, God, I'm grateful that you're God and I'm not, and so I can let go of my worries and give them back to you. You're the one who really is in charge. So that's my message for this morning. Let's, let's pray as we get started. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds would be acceptable to you. For you, O God, are the one. As the psalmist says, you are the one who is our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about worry. Why is it we worry and what's that all about? Well, first of all, I find we worry because we focus on the little things, the somewhat insignificant things, Instead of stepping back and taking a look at the big picture, at least I do that, we worry about the little stuff. We get ourselves all in a fuss and fret about little things that we really feel like, well, if I can move the furniture around, if I can make every dinner place looks nice at Thanksgiving, I can have everybody just happy at the family gathering. And we worry about all the control issues about the little stuff. Meanwhile, we sometimes miss the whole big picture of trust in God, but we focus in on the little stuff. I thought about that this week. I was on the road. I was in Nashville, Tennessee for some meetings, and the hotel where I stayed, they had some kind of a dance going on uh, for high school kids, apparently, because all these kids arrived all dressed up for some school dance. And it really reminded me when I lived in Fort Wayne and my daughter, Laura, was in high school. I remember her first school dance, formal dance. Remember those? 
all the worrying that went into buying the right dress and getting the shoes that matched and the costume jewelry and getting her hair done that morning just right and, and having her mom and others help her with her makeup. And, and between her and her mom, they were just worried about all these little things about that. And that wasn't what I was worried about at all. <laughs> so in the middle of her getting ready, I kind of had some dad time to say, well, tell me about this young man you're going to the dance with. See, that was my worry. And I remember she stopped and said, Oh, I hadn't really thought much about him. <laughs> and I realized that's what we all do. You know, we get focused on worrying about the little stuff. We forget about the relationships, the people. Forget about our faith sometimes. And it's our effort, you know, I think, to be in charge of the world. If we can just move the furniture around, which I do sometimes at home, if we can just make sure the schedule is filled, if we can just do all the little things we fret about, it's our way of trying to say, well, I'm in charge. And worrying about those little things, we miss the big picture. Secondly, we worry because we worry too soon. We worry way too soon before we've given ourselves a chance to deal with problems, before we've given our friends and our church a chance, before we've given God a chance, for heaven's sakes. We worry so soon and we think, well, a quick prayer to God, well, God, help me with this, but then I'm going to keep worrying about it. We worry too soon. I'm going to, I like sports, so I'm going to share with you what I learned recently, the most insignificant statistic in football. You know, they keep all kinds of stats in football, right? Every kind, imagine. But the most insignificant stat in terms of predicting the outcome of the game, you know what it is? It's who's ahead at halftime. Exactly half the time in all the NFL games and all these college games they've ever studied, exactly half the time the team that's leading at halftime wins and exactly half the time the team that's trailing at halftime wins, which means a halftime score really is meaningless statistically because there's another half to go. It ain't over yet. What was it Yogi Berra said in baseball? It ain't over until it's over. And we do that, I think, spiritually. We focus too much on the halftime score or the middle of the problem score. We're in the middle of an issue we're worried about, in the middle of something we're, we're concerned about, and we treat it like it's the finish, but it's not. We have to give God time to work in and through us. We have to give ourselves time to muster our own resources. We have to give our, our friends and our church family time to rally around and help us. But we start worrying when it's still just half time. We worry too, too soon. Uh, Greg knows this because we've been friends a long time. The last few years have been kind of tough in our family. Marcia and I have lost all four of our parents in a very short amount of time through various illnesses. And that's been hard. And we felt lots of support and lots of rallying around. But one of, the, one of the cards we received to me was one of the most helpful. It said simply, it'll be okay when it's over. If it's not okay yet, then it's not over. And we're still praying for you. It'll be okay when it's over. In the long run, it'll be okay. Grief will be healed. Resurrection promise is there. But in the meantime, if it doesn't feel okay yet, it means it's not over yet, so we're going to keep praying for you. I love that spirit because otherwise we worry too soon. We worry when it's only halftime, and we haven't really given God and our, and our friends and church a chance to get us through it. So we worry about the little things, the wrong things. We worry too soon. We also worry about things we just don't understand and maybe never will. How about you, but I've got my list of questions for God. And what I was told a while back by my spiritual guide was, you know, when you finally see God face to face, those questions won't matter anymore. 
Because those questions are, are out of your human attempt to understand. And I realize that's so true. That's so true. When my, when my son Steve was four years old, he was a daredevil kid. He just was afraid of nothing at all until that year when he was four, we decided as a family, we lived in South Bend, Indiana at the time, we were really tired of winter, and we saved up our money, and we decided we are going to fly to Florida for spring break. So the minute we told Steve, a little Steve four-year-old, that we were going to fly to Florida for the first time, I saw him worry and really be scared. And it just wasn't like him. I couldn't figure it out. I kept saying, well, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this. We're going to be on a plane, and we're going to go where it's warm weather, and there'll be a pool. And nothing I said seemed to help him at all. He just worried and worried and worried until finally, as we draw, drew near to the airport, and I pointed the planes flying around, he finally asked me the question that revealed what this poor little kid had been worried about. You know what he said? Daddy, how do we catch the plane? And I realized I'd been saying to the family, well, we're going to go to the airport and catch a plane and fly to Florida. <laughs> but as a four-year-old, taking things real literally, he was really, really worrying himself, how do I catch the plane up there? And so as soon as I said, oh, no, the plane will land, and they'll open the door, we'll walk up steps, we'll, well, then he was fine. It was great. And that was long enough ago, they got free snacks on the plane. He loved that, you know. But I wondered afterwards, do I do the same thing with God? Do I, with God, worry about things that God says, oh, that's just beyond your understanding. It'll be okay. Trust me. Don't worry about things you can't understand. So we worry too soon. We worry about little things that don't matter. We worry about things that don't understand. And mostly, we worry like the Gentiles. That's Jesus' word for it. Over in his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus says, don't worry like the Gentiles, which he means those who are not believers. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of greater value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, King Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For it is the Gentiles, those who don't believe, who strive after all those things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries enough of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's a beautiful passage. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't worry like those who don't believe. But rather, trust in God who will provide and who does provide. So I want to set aside all that about worrying because worrying is, worrying is what we do to try to take control of the world and, and put it in our hands and we just worry about it. Gratitude, thanksgiving to God is what we do when we give that control back to God and say, God, you're God, not me. So I can live my life out of gratitude and faithfulness because you are the one, O oh God, who really is in control of the world, and I don't have to worry about all those things. 
So as I say, don't worry. Instead, be thankful. Now, I know that can sound glib, and I know there's times in life when it's not real easy to be thankful. Greg shared that when I was first elected bishop, I was assigned to serve the Dakotas Conference, which is North and South Dakota, huge territory, and uh, not many people. It's a long way between things out there. However, out there I did learn that about seven months of the year I could walk on water. <laughs> Winter's long out there. But one of the years I was out there, I was uh, preaching in a church on Sunday morning. They were having their Thanksgiving harvest offering, they called it. And it was a rural community, much a farming community. And so this, this annual harvest offering is really what they funded all their mission and ministry for the whole year on. And so I preached about Thanksgiving and harvest and all of that. And they took up their harvest offering. And afterwards, we went downstairs in the church basement and had a, had a potluck dinner. They called it a hot dish dinner. And after a while, people came down and they announced the total of the offering. And they had a great harvest offering of Thanksgiving, and that was going to pay for their church budget and missions and outreach and conference support for the next year, and they all celebrated. And I was sitting at a table with several older guys who were farmers, and they're, these are pretty reserved people. This is the part of North Dakota where they, um, where they're what we call the German Russians. They're people from Germany who immigrated from there to Russia, and then they came to the Dakotas early in the 1900s. Very reserved and quiet people. So I, I asked the farmers at the table, I said, you know, I know we've had a lot of drought in the area. How did your crops turn out this year? And they all kind of stared at their feet for a while, and finally one of them spoke up and said, well, Bishop, in this part of the state we had so much drought, we didn't have any crops. We never got our equipment out of the barn to harvest anything. And I said, no, wait a minute. We were just upstairs. And we had a harvest offering, and they just reported it was, a, it was a generous offering. It's going to cover the church's mission needs for the year. How do you have a harvest offering if you didn't have any crops to harvest? And again, a lot of silence. They kind of stared at their feet, and they said, Well, you just dig deeper, maybe borrow a little more for the bank, and you give and you believe that maybe next year there'll be a harvest. And I drove home realizing these are folks who really understand about gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude and thanksgiving is not, well, God, I'm doing great. Maybe I'm even doing better than those people, so I'm thankful for that. No, no. Gratitude and thanksgiving is being grateful for God being God, even when things don't look so optimistic. And trusting that maybe next year there'll be a harvest. And so I will continue to be faithful and grateful to God. So gratitude is not an easy thing, but it is a healthy thing. The Menninger Clinic did a study of all the human emotions. This is from a psychiatric perspective. But of all the human emotions, they said the most healthy way to live is gratitude, thanksgiving. And by contrast, when well people worry, they can literally worry themselves sick. There's actually a medical term for that. It's called the worried well. Doctors have lots of appointments with people that afterwards they have to file on their chart, this was a worried, well person. That was really what was wrong with them. Think about that contrast. We can worry and practically worry ourselves sick trying to be in charge of life, or we can be grateful and thankful and be well. So the, the year that that really came home to me in a strong way was the year I was the first year in seminary. 
I went down to uh, Duke Divinity School for seminary because I wanted to kind of explore a different part of the country. My wife and I moved down to North Carolina. I went to Duke, and that first semester was, it was not easy. I could do the schooling and all that, but we were a long way from home and family, and I was still trying to sort out. I knew God was calling me in the ministry, but I wasn't quite sure what it was all about yet. And I took a course called Ministry in Context, where each week we went around and visited a different kind of ministry, you know, hospital chaplains and other things. And the week before Thanksgiving that year, we visited the Butner School for what they called retarded children in those days. And we were assigned to go visit different units in that school, and my little group was assigned to go visit the blind center. So here were these children, elementary age, had all kinds of mental challenges, and they were blind. And I thought, we thought we were going there to minister to these children, but instead we got there and learned the children were going to put on a Thanksgiving service for us. And the highlight was a little boy, he was about 10 years old, happened to be African-American in the deep south there, and he had memorized Psalm 100, which Pastor Greg read a few minutes ago. And you could tell he'd worked really hard at this, and his teachers were just kind of on edge encouraging him, and his other students were, were kind of cheering him on. And he got up, and I'm, I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up, but he recited it perfectly from this version I'm reading from. And this little boy got up and he said, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Wow. I heard that little boy recite that that day. And I went home to my wife and our little meager student apartment with our bills and things we're trying to deal with. And I looked at this and that. And I, I was grateful simply because God is God. That's what the gratitude that we're asked to celebrate is all about. It's not, gee, I'm grateful, Lord, I'm doing so well. And certainly not, gee, I'm grateful, Lord, I'm doing better than those people. But it's, I'm grateful, God, that you are God. And I can live my life trusting in you and knowing that I need not dwell in worry, but rather I can live with thanksgiving. Don't worry. Be thankful. So I want to I lift up for you three words that we've got to get in the right order in our lives. Those words are be and do and have, to be, and then to do, and then to have. We're designed to be human beings, to be in relationship with God whose name is I be. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. God's name is I be. I am. And we are invited, we're created to be in relationship with the God who helps us to be a human being. We're called to be and to focus upon being that child of God, to spend our time and our effort not so much on our doing and our having, but upon our being with God and with God's people. And if we, we focus upon being, then that will lead us to know what we should be doing on behalf of God and God's people. And in our Methodist system, we have three simple rules from John Wesley. Do no harm. Do good and stay in love with God. That's what we should be doing all the time in whatever ways we sort out to do that. It's our being that leads to our doing, which then means we will have 
from God what we need to have to be and to do those things God calls us to be and do. But think about how much people mix those things all up and they try to put the having first. And that leads to people wanting more and more and more stuff. They want a bigger one, a better one, a nicer, a newer one, the latest model, the latest app on their phone, the latest gizmo, the latest. And when we focus on having, we become greedy and we're never thankful because enough is always just a little bit more. Just got to have a little bit more, Lord. That's because we put the having first in our life. And yet there's other people, and I'm one of those at my faults, that put the doing first. If we can just keep our calendar busy, even if we're doing really good things, even godly things, if we can just keep our calendar really full so that as we exchange notes with each other, we say, well, I'd like to get together with you, but, you know, I'm so busy. And we put that doing out there first as if I'm in charge of doing the world for God, and that won't get us there either. No, it's, it's the being that must come first, which will lead us into the doing what God wants us to do. And God will then see that we have what we really need to have to accomplish being the person God wants us to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? The order matters so much. And I find even at Thanksgiving time, we mix up that order and we focus on the things of life we're grateful for. And that's okay. But the being with God must come first. Let Let me wrap that up by and explain that by telling you about Edith. Uh, Edith was a woman who called our Methodist prayer line very regularly. You may not know that, but Upper Room Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee, one of our connectional ministries is Methodist. They put out the Upper Room devotional guide and all. They have a, a prayer hotline, 24 hours a day, every day of the year. People can call that toll-free number, and there's someone there who will pray with them and for them. And it's a great ministry, and many people call with very legitimate issues from all over the world. And it's staffed by people there in Nashville who work for our denomination. It's staffed by lots of volunteers. But anyway, for a while, this woman named Edith called again and again and again. And her gruff attitude, she said, are you the people who pray for people? Well, yeah. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that God will send me a new red Jeep Grand Cherokee. And, of course, every time she called and said that, the people on the line would try to help her, you know, deepen her spiritual quest a little more and talk about what she really needed. And she was very belligerent and said, no, you said you pray for people. I want you to pray that God will give me a new red Jeep Grand Cherokee. And this went on for a long time. So practically everybody who worked there and who, who volunteered there had had their encounters with Edith. And then she stopped calling. And several weeks, maybe even months went by until she finally called in and the, and the guy who was on the phone that day is the one who told me this whole story. He said he answered the phone and there's this voice, very subdued, and she said, my name is Edith, maybe you remember me. Well, yeah. <laughs> she said, I want to tell you what's happened in my life. She said, you Methodist people were so nice to keep praying for me, I decided maybe I ought to go to one of your churches. So I found one in my town, and I've been going there, and it's not too bad. As bishop, that's what I want to hear about our churches, not too bad, right? (laughs) And he started to say, well, I'm glad you found a church. She said, that's not why I called. So okay. She said, a few weeks ago at our church, we had a special speaker from out of town. They had some kind of witness weekend, she said, they called it. And he was really pretty good. 
And the man started again and said, well, that's good. Said, that's not why I called. She said at the end of the service, he invited people who had never given their life to Jesus to come on down. And so she said, I went down and I gave my heart to Jesus. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so, and he said, she said, that's not why I called. <laughs> she said, after I prayed with that guest speaker and I prayed with our pastor, she said, we were together so long in prayer that I, I walked him out to the parking lot. And when he got in his rental car to fly back to the airport to come home, it was a new red Jeep Grand Cherokee. She said, I called to tell you, thank you. My prayers were answered. Not in the way I expected, but God answered my prayers because of you. Thank you for praying for me. Well, it's a wonderful story, a wonderful outcome, but the story reminds us it's about being and discovering we can be a child of God who responds to God's love in Jesus Christ. That's who we are meant to be, which will lead us to do the things of God, which will lead us to have what God wants us to have. And we don't have to worry we don't have to fret. We don't have to try to take charge of the world. We can trust God to be God. But we're invited to focus upon be in order to do, in order to have. So my message, once again, simply put, is don't worry, but rather be thankful. Don't worry. Be thankful. Will you pray with me? God, we gather as your people today, and we are indeed thankful and grateful for who you are. First and foremost, oh God, we give you thanks that you are who you are, and we can trust you. Forgive us when we worry so much that we try to take over control of the world and help us to be the people who yield that control back to you because you have it anyway. And Lord, as we gather for these coming days of Thanksgiving in various forms and shapes with families and friends, help us, O oh God, to focus not upon our worries, not even upon our abundance, but help us to focus upon you and to know we can trust you and give thanks to you and we can be your thankful people. Once again, O oh God, I pray your blessing upon Pastor Greg and this congregation and all who are part of its ministries. May you continue to work through this amazing congregation and touch people's lives and help them discover that they can be in relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And help us this week, Lord, not to worry, but to be thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.